stuff. You hear they too. <laughs> okay. Gimel Amid Aleph. We're up, we're on the fourth line. The Mishnah says that till when do you read the Shema? Tsef HaShmura, till the end of the first watch. Micah Sabah Rabbelezer, what does Rabbelezer hold? Later on in the next page, in the next side, we're going to learn there's an argument how many watches are there in the night. Watches refers to the, the heavenly watches of the angels of a different part of the night, different angels sing different praises to Hashem. So there's an argument whether the night is divided into three watches or whether the night is divided into four watches. If he holds that the night is divided into three watches, so then he should say clearly, the night, let's say, the average night is 12 hours. So it means, uh, if it's divided into three, it means four hours. He should say clearly, read the Shema till four hours. And by the way, the, the, the way it works is it's not always a 60-minute hour, uh, hour. Yes, in the, in the month of Nisan, in the month of Tishri, in the middle of the year, it'll be uh, 60 minutes when the days and the nights are equally divided. But you'll take any night and you'll divide it into half, into 12 parts. So uh, the long nights of the, of the year, it'll be every hour will be like an hour and a half. And the short nights in the summer, every hour will be, could be a 45-minute hour. But it means you divide the night into... 12 parts, and, and it means into the fourth hour. So you should say clearly that, if, that you should read the Shema till the end of the fourth hour, however the hours are divided. The and if he holds if he holds that the night is divided into four watches, he should say clearly you should read the Shema up until three hours into the night. Mother answers, really, he holds that there are three watches. Have a light. So why doesn't he say clearly then you should read the Shema, you can read the Shema the de- the, uh, till four hours into the night. Well, is coming to teach us just like there are watches in heaven, so too there are watches here on earth, meaning that there are signs here on earth that we can tell when these watches are happening in heaven. Everything in this world is a symptom of what's going on. If you know how to read the signal, it's only a symptom of what's really taking place in heaven above. And he brings, a, he explains, because we learned in Ebraisa, that Rabbi Lezer, Rabbi Lezer, this is the opinion of the mission, Rabbi Lezer. So we know Rabbi Lezer holds that the three mishmaris have a laila, divide, the night is divided into three watches. And every one of these watches, Hashem sits and, and roars like a lion. Because it says in the verse in Jeremiah, Hashem mimarim yishak, from high above Hashem roars, and from his heavenly abode he gives his voice, shoig yishak, roars he roars. He says three times roars. Because he roars at each, each time of the night, each, each um, watch of the night he roars. Al Naveo, he's roaring on his home, on the temple that's been destroyed. Simon Ledover, and what's the simon? How do we see this on earth? What's the sign? What's the symptom? Mishmada Rishayna, the first watch, the first part of the night. Chamoy Noyer, a donkey brays, makes his noises. Shania, the second part of the night. Klovim Tzayikim, dogs, dogs bark. 
And Shlishi is the third part of the night. Tinek Yoinek. That's when the baby wakes up and, 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 uh, and the nurses. Mishneimai. The breast of his mother. And he wakes up the mother. So the Isha, Miss Peres and Baila. She's up. While she's nursing, she's, she's talking to her husband. She's, she's lying with her husband. So she's, she has a conversation with her husband. So, so the mother says, wait a second. Michael Hashi Rabbi Lazar. What does Rabbi Lazar, um, how does he reckon this? If he's giving us a sign for the beginning, the beginning of each watch, why do I need a simon for the, be- the beginning of the first watch of the night? It's at night time. I can see clearly. It was daytime and then it turns night. I don't need any signs. And if and if he's telling us that at the end of each watch, that's when the donkey brays. And the end of each watch, that's when the, the dog barks. The dogs bark. And the end of each watch, that's when, people, that's when the baby wakes up. The baby is hungry, and that's when the woman is talking and the, wakes up the mother, and then the mother speaks to her husband. So why do I need a sign? It's already daytime. Even though you really have to understand, it's difficult to understand, because when he says daytime here, he means dawn. Dawn is very difficult to detect. You can't even detect it with the naked eye. It's not something that's, uh, that's clear. So maybe you do need a sign. But he says simply, you know, you don't need a sign. It's daytime. Dawn is already daytime. That's what the Gemara asks. So the Gemara says, we must say, You don't need a sign for the beginning of the night, for the beginning of the first watch. So when the, when the donkeys bray, that's the end of the, you need a sign for the end of the first watch, which tells us, according to our blessed, it's time to read the Shema. You better finish the Shema, then it's over. Once the donkey brays, then it's the end of the, of the first watch. And the beginning of the last watch. Because don't forget, let's say the night is 12 hours. How much does a person sleep? Eight hours a night is, is already, it's, it's maximum. The Ramam says a person should sleep eight hours a night. So if you went to sleep at the beginning of the night, eight hours later is the beginning of the third, is, starts the third watch, the last four hours of the night. So already people are waking up already. You know, they're still lying in bed because it's four hours before dawn. But the, 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 the baby is nursing and the, she's speaking with her husband. So that's the beginning of the last uh, watch. And the middle of the middle, that's when the dogs bark. The dogs start barking at midnight. And why is this important for us to know? Because, again, these symptoms are times when Hashem is roaring like a lion, that Hashem is in pain, that this temple is destroyed. So this is a time when a person should daven to Hashem. And this is the source. This is one of the sources for... In the olden days, people would wake up at midnight, wake up at midnight to mourn the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash of the Temple, because midnight is a time when Hashem is roaring. It's a time when Hashem wants us to daven and to, to cry and to and to feel His pain. And so that's that He says in Msisa, Msisa at midnight. That's when the dogs bray. That's one answer. If you want to answer, you'll say all of them. He's saying at the end of the night. I mean, at the end of the watch. So the, the donkey brays at the end of the first watch. The dogs bark at the end of the second watch. Eight hours into the night. Not at midnight, two hours later. And at the end of the third watch, that's when the baby wakes up because not everyone goes to sleep 
People are eating a meal. They don't go to sleep the moment it's done. He says people go to sleep until the end of the first of the first watch. So if you go to sleep the end of the first watch, you sleep eight hours. When do you start waking up? When does the baby wake up and the mother wakes up and, and, and she's speaking? At, 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 six o'clock in the morning. Six o'clock in the morning. At the end of the fir- at the end of the third watch. At the end of the night. According to the first opinion, people are getting up at two o'clock in the morning. Because if they went to sleep at the went to sleep at the beginning of the night, you can't. Who sleeps twelve hours? I mean, which yeah. adult sleeps twelve hours? <laughs> <laughs> but a baby, a baby doesn't sleep through the night, an infant, right? An infant wakes up for multiple times in the night and, and feeds. Well, yeah, so, yeah, so we're not talking about an infant just came out of the hospital, but so, you know, in the olden days, they used to nurse until... Uh, People who had a successful well, night nurse who trained their child <laughs> to sleep through the night. I'm talking about here. Yeah. Bring it back. <laughs> yeah, you, you wonder why they say you sleep like a baby, right? Babies don't sleep. Okay. And then, everybody yeah. say, man, if you want to say... So, yeah, I asked the question, why does he have to give a sign? Why do you need a sign the end of the night? Everyone knows when the end of the night is. It's done. It, if you're going to say, In order to read the Shema, so why do I have to know this sign? Because you know it's time to read the Shema. Someone who's sleeping in the, the shades are down. I'm not looking outside. I don't know what's happening outside. I'm not looking. I'm sleeping indoors. I'm not. Sli- I'm not looking outside. I'm not. I'm not in the tent outdoors. I'm not camping. So I don't know. I don't know when it's shema. So when you when you hear when your wife wakes up and wakes you up and starts speaking, say, "Oh, now it's dawn. Now it's time for me to get ready to to, to prepare for the shema." Now, Belezer holds the Shema is a little later than dawn. You can't read the Shema from dawn. You have to wait a little. But it means it's time to wake up. Time to wake up till you get ready. By the time you get ready, it'll already be time to read the shema. Is there a time between the latest time to say Shema and when you can start saying Shema? Or is it... The latest time? Which Shema are you talking about? So we Here we're talking about to wake up in the morning to read the morning Shema. So we learned yesterday when the latest time to say Shema the is... The evening Shema. The evening Shema. So when that time ends, yes. can you immediately start saying the morning Shema? No, no. It's four, four, four hours in the morning. According to which opinion? Abel Ezra says it's four hours into the night. Even the rabbis say it's till midnight. And even Rabbi Le- and the Rab- and Rabbi Gamliel says till the dawn. But then there's some opinions. When do you start reading the Shema? It's not exactly at dawn. It's a little later. But he says by dawn time, it's time to wake up, time to get out of bed, time to prepare. By the time you get ready and prepare, you'll reach the time when it's time to read the morning Shema. Okay. So it's time to wake up. We're to read the morning Shema. Okay. Three portions, the three watches to the night. Every one of these watches, sits and roars like a lion. Even though the verse doesn't say he roars like a lion, but we know that roaring is associated in the verse to a lion. A lion roars. And he says, Woe to the children, because of their sins. I had to destroy my home. And I had to burn my temple. Why this double, double, uh, double expressions? There are many explanations. One is because everything that happens in this world is just a symptom of what happens above. First Hashem destroyed the temple above. And then, as a result, the temple was burnt down here below. And I had to exile my children amongst the nations of the world. So Hashem is in pain. Corresponds to one of these three things. Okay, very good. Very good. Better the temple than us. 
Yeah, Tanya, we learned the Brice. Um, Rabbi Yaisi, Rabbi Yaisi says, Pamachas once a Yisim Halabadera. I was going in the way, I was traveling. Vinichnasti Lechurba, and I entered into a, a destroyed, a ruined, a ruined home. Achas Mechurba's Yerushalayim, one of the ruined homes of Yerushalayim. And I entered, why did I enter it? I entered Lehispala. Because when you daven, you have to, you need focus, you need concentration. So I went into the, into the home to daven. Boy, Leo Leo came, which may be remembered for good. And he waited for me at the door. Some, but the word Vishamar could mean he, wait, he waited for me. Vishamar also means literally. Leo was there to protect him, to watch him. Because he was in, the, in a, a ruined home. Till I finished my davening, he waited patiently, he protected me. When I finished my davening, the rabbis Elio and Navi would visit them. This was a regular thing for them. They would, they would visit them, they would <coughs> teach them Torah. And the house um, would collapse. Oh, Amali, he said to me, Elio said to me, Peace unto you, my uh, Rabbi. Rabbi, and I responded to him with even a greater, a greater adjective of respect. Shalom Aleichem, Rabbi Amiri, my teacher, my Rabbi and my teacher. Amali and Elio said to me, "Bni, my son, why do you enter into into this ruined home?" Amarti, I told him, "Amarti, I entered into the davening." Why didn't you pray on the road? Why did you enter into this ruined home? But I told him, I was afraid. In the road, I can't concentrate. People are going. It's too distracting. I have to focus. I went into the house. I can focus. No, that's, that, you shouldn't have done that. You should daven a short prayer. And Rashi says, and Taisus agrees with him, that this short prayer is what the Gemara will learn later on in the Gemara. If a person cannot pray the full Shemineserei, there's a shortened version. You say the three blessings, the opening blessings, you say the three concluding blessings, but in the, in the, all the blessings in the middle, there's like three, four words that sum up the essence of each blessing, and you, you include it in one single blessing, because I don't have time to say the whole entire Shemineserei. So he said, you should have davened, you can focus for a few, for a moment, just close your eyes and focus, and you should have done the short version, the abbreviated version, the cliff note version of the davening. So Rabbi says, in that moment, I learned from Elio and Navi three things. Number one, I learned, uh, you're not allowed to enter into a ruined home. You're not allowed to endanger your life. It's dangerous. You can collapse. Collapse. It's dangerous. It's a hazard. Also you can daven on the way. Yes, davening is all about focus, and if there's no focus, there's no davening. But you can daven on the way. And I learned, when you daven in the way, you should daven a short prayer. The question is, how can Elijah the prophet give, render a verdict? Elijah became an angel. Elijah went up to heaven. Angels can give verdicts. You need only, only a human being who's alive in, in earth, who's alive in this world, can give a verdict. How can he learn three laws from Elio and Abi? And the commentaries say that in, Elio is, became an angel, but Elio also, in the, like in this case, came down in the physical form. That's why he was standing at the door. He was physically standing at the door. He comes to every bris spiritually, and that's why he can be in all bris and all over the world. But then there are times when he comes physically, when he enters his body again, 
and comes in the physical form. When he comes in the physical form, then he's a human being. Then he has the right to, to get to render Allahic verdict, like like any other rabbi. And he's one of the greatest rabbis. He was the head of the he was the head of the Jewish Supreme Court. Not only was he a prophet, he was the head of the Jewish Supreme Court. He was the eighth in line of the transmission of the whole oral Torah. Wow. So that's why Yohan Navi is going to be the one who's going to answer all the questions. All the questions in the Talmud. Tishbi Yitaris, Kushis Rabbayas, because Elio was, the, was one of the greatest scholars. So when he comes in a human form, as in this case, he can give a rend- he can render Allahic verdict. And then Vamali Elio said to me, Bani, my son, what voice did he hear when he entered into this room? Marty Lloyd, Abiyasi says, I told Elio, Shamati, I heard Baska. I heard a daughter of a voice, an echo. There's a heavenly voice. This was at the end of the era of prophecy. It says Hashem took away, there was no longer any prophecy, but there remained the echo. They heard an echo from the voice of heaven. I heard an echo of a heavenly voice, which was wailing like a dove. Even though he said earlier, Hashem roars like a lion. But the echo, <laughs> that's Hashem's voice. <laughs> but the echo of the voice was like a dove. A lion we couldn't take, it's too intense. But I heard like a dove. And the Jewish people are compared to a dove. So I heard the voice of a dove, I met us. And this voice said, this echo said, this daughter, I met us. And the oil abundant, woe to the children of same because of their sins. I destroyed my temple, and I burned my palace. And I exiled them amongst the nations. told me, on your life and the life of your of your head. In other words, he said it's a double expression. It's like an oath. I'm taking an oath. I'm telling you. Not only that moment you heard this voice. Hashem says this voice. Every day. The simple meaning is every day, as he said earlier. Day is not meaning day and not night. It means, during, it means every day, the three times of the night, the three watches, Hashem is, is roaring like a lion and he's saying and he's lamenting and he says, woe to the children because Hashem wants to build so much. And, um, and it's interesting. As he says... Oh, see in a second. So he says three times they say, and not only this, whenever Jews gather together, whenever Jews, there's a minion, and they gather together in the shul and in the house of study. And the answer, when they're praising Hashem, so to speak, Hashem like shakes his head. And he says, Ashrei HaMelech, praiseworthy is the king, that they, they praise him in his own home, when he's home, when he's in his temple. Woe to the father. He doesn't say king anymore, now he says father. Because once Hashem is in exile, he's like, if there's no king, if there's no nation, there's no king. Once Hashem is in exile, he doesn't call himself king anymore. He says, now I'm like a father, Shehigla's banner, that had to, was forced to exile his children. And woe to the children, that were exiled from the, from the table of their father, from their father's table, from the royal table. So why are we so passionate about saying the meaning Hashem Yerabah if it brings Hashem status? Because this is what, this is what we're saying. What is Amin Yeshem What are we saying? A Jew is saying 
that, you know, when you love someone, you truly love someone, you can have a good friend, you like him, but if someone else criticizes him, I'm not going to say anything. But if you truly love someone, if, if you want everyone in the world to love him, so when he say, Amen and that's what it says of Jew, it says, Amen you have to say it with all your might and all your strength and all your focus and concentration. If you say it, even a, a, a decree in heaven for 70 years is ripped up because it's so powerful. Because what, what a Jew is saying is, we want Hashem to be loved by the whole world. We want Hashem to be, we love Hashem and we acknowledge Hashem and we accept it upon ourselves and we have a relationship with Hashem. But we want all 7 billion people. So this is such a powerful statement. And this is what's going to bring Mashiach. But what's fascinating is, he says, he says it in the Hebrew. Amen, look, he says, the Rabbi, he says it in the Hebrew. We say it in Aramaic. Why do we say it in Aramaic? And here he says it in the Hebrew. And also, what does Yehei Rabbi mean? So there's an argument. Thesis brings, there's two opinions. One opinion is, Rashi explains, Master Vitri explains, his student wrote that Rashi says, Yehei Shmei. Shmei is shame, the way it's written, shame Yudke. That Hashem's name should become great. Because right now, Hashem's name is incomplete. Since Amalek says Hashem's throne is incomplete, it says in the, in, in the book of Exodus at the end of Parshish Bashalah, Hashem's name is incomplete, Hashem's throne is incomplete. The name Yudke is like cut in half. The Yudke is separated from the Vavke. And therefore we say, Yehei Shem Yudke. The name which is now is only Yudke, it's only half of a name because Hashem is it's split. It's cut off, it's not complete, it's not whole and complete. Yehei Shmei Rabba should become great. Hashem's name should become whole again. When Mashiach will come, Hashem's name will be whole, will be whole again. And then we say uh, another prayer, Hashem's name should be blessed. Which also tells us that we have the power to bless Hashem. Many people say, what do you mean you're blessing Hashem? How could you bless Hashem? You bless someone, you're, you're, you're blessing them that they should increase, they should be fruitful, they should be multiplied, they should be tremendously successful financially. A blessing means there should be a tremendous increase. We, can, we are blessing Hashem, Hashem is perfect. What, what can we add to Hashem? So they say that the means Hashem is the source of blessing. When you say Baruch, we're not saying we're blessing Hashem. Who am I to bless Hashem? Hashem is perfect. He doesn't need my blessing. So it means we're acknowledging and praising Hashem. You are the source of blessing. But the simple explanation, we're, we're blessing Hashem. How are we blessing Hashem? How can we add to Hashem? Because Hashem wants Himself to be revealed. Presently, Hashem is hidden. Hashem is concealed. So Hashem needs our blessing. Hashem wants, is, uh, we're blessing Hashem, that Hashem should be blessed forever and ever, that Hashem's essence should be revealed, that everyone should be conscious of Hashem and should acknowledge Hashem and should allow Hashem to enter into their hearts, into their minds, into their awareness, into their daily life. So we are blessing Hashem. So, it, so it's two separate things. One thing we're asking is that God's name should become whole again. Right now it's not whole. And then we say, Hashem should be blessed and should be revealed for the whole world. Which is, of course, the coming of Mashiach. Then both things will happen. Taisu says, no, it's one thing. It's one blessing. We're saying, the name of Hashem, which is great, should be blessed and acknowledged by the whole world. It's one thing. Then Taisu says, why do, why do we say it in Aramaic? The Talmud here says it in the Hebrew. 
Why did we change it and suddenly we say this important prayer we say in Aramaic? So one explanation he gives is because the angels will be jealous. Because it's such a powerful prayer and because it causes Hashem tremendous pain. Whenever a Jew says, Yesh made Abbas, causes Hashem starts roaring like a lion because Hashem is such pain. So the angels will get very upset. The Jews are causing Hashem pain. So they're going to start accusing us. So we say it in Aramaic. The angels don't understand Aramaic. They don't like Aramaic. They don't understand Aramaic. So we keep it a secret from them. They shouldn't understand. <laughs> Taisus doesn't like this answer. And he says... That's a terrible he says, answer. <laughs> and he says... He says the reason we say it is... And that's why we say in the Kaddish, when the Hamasa, Hashem needs comforting. Hashem is roaring. Hashem is in such pain. We say Hashem should be comforted. That let him end his exile. Mashiach will come. Then he'll be comforted. The other explanation Taisus says is because in the olden days they used to gather and study together. They used to, for the simple person, they used to study on Yaakov, used to study at the end when they used to study, they used to say the Kaddish. So because this was a study for everyone, even those who were not learned, those who didn't understand Hebrew properly, they all spoke Aramaic, so they made the Kaddish into Aramaic. These two explanations depend on these two interpretations of Yehesh Meirabba. If you say Yehesh Meirabba like Rashi means, that you're saying Hashem should be whole, in other words, you're praying for Mashiach, that Hashem should be whole, once again, you have to say it in Aramaic because the angels get very upset. Why are you causing Hashem, Hashem such pain? But if you say that we're just saying Hashem should be, should be blessed, we're blessing Hashem, the, the reason why we say it in Aramaic is in order that everyone should understand, understand the language. Okay. We learned the Braise, the two dots, second line from the Bible. We learn the Braise, Why aren't you allowed to enter into a ruin for three different reasons? One reason is people shouldn't suspect that you're going to, uh, to act immorally. You know, you have a rendezvous with a, a prostitute. And with Nehemazikin. And because of the, uh, of the demons, demons feel at home in ruins and they, and they can cause you damage. <coughs> Second reason, I'm sorry. Second reason with Neam Papayla is because it could collapse. It's dangerous. It's a hazard. Neam Mazik. In fact, the mother, why do I need three different reasons? Why do I need three different reasons? Obviously, each reason is in a certain scenario where only one of these reasons apply. So now he's going to explain which scenario that is. He says, in the case, the next side, the second page, if it's a new, a new building, that one of the walls collapsed. Obviously, that wall wasn't built well, but the building itself is solid. So there's, there's no danger, there's no hazard. Of, uh, there's going to be a further collapse. I can go in there. There's no, there's no problem of hazard. So therefore, you have to say, the reason is because chashad. That, that the people will, a person has to act in a way that no one should suspect you. You shouldn't say to yourself, I know the truth. What do I care what people think? I couldn't care less what people think. But a person shouldn't put himself in a position where people will start uh, wagging the tongue and saying, oh, he's sneaking, sneaking into it. <laughs> what else is he doing in a room? It's like ribbis. So why do I need the reason of suspicion? It's a rune. A rune is a place where you have demons and they can harm you. So what it says, but today, let's say if two, two people went and entered into the rune together, the, the rule is that a demon will only harm you if you're alone. If you're two, you may see the demon, but it's not going, going, going to harm you. 
So these, there's no problem of demons, and it's a it's a new building that just uh, one of the walls collapsed. So there's no problem of there's no hazard. The only the only issue is of suspicion that you're not you're acting immorally. today there's nothing to be suspicious about. Because we say a, a person is not allowed to be alone in a room with a woman unless she's your wife or your mother or your daughter. Um, so, it, but with two people you're allowed. Two people, you're not afraid because each one is embarrassed of the other. So no one is, it's like being in public. No one's going to do anything, anything uh, unseemly. So if, it, if you talk, he's saying that there's no reason, you're not afraid of a demon. Why? Because there's two people. If there's two people, then there's no suspicion either. So why wouldn't you allowed to be entered? Two people, why can't two people enter into this room? So what it says, betray upriti. Two people who are not living up to the highest moral standards. When do you say that two people could be alone with a woman? It's two people who are in a high, high moral standard. The question is, there's an argument in the Paschim if it means, how about the average person? Do we say that automatically the average person we assume is moral and only someone who's a playboy and we know is a bum and a lowlife, then he loses that, then two such people or one and one, one good person together with a person who's a playboy, then it doesn't work? Or, no, we're talking about only a tzaddik, a person who has a great reputation, who's so holy, and then we can assume that they're safe. But two average people can't be alone with a woman. So that, that's an argument amongst, amongst uh, the places. Okay, so now we understand. So we're talking about a case. When do we need the reason for of suspicion? We're talking about a case where the rune, it was a rune, but it's, it's, in so, it's a solid rune. So there's no hazard. And there's no uh, fear of demons because it's two people. But one of these people is not or is not, or two of them, or one of them maybe, maybe even, is, is not on a high level, and therefore you have to worry um, about suspicion. Okay, so mother says, fine. Nay, I'm a, I'm, I'm a pilot. What's the issue with suspicion, though? People are going to see you, and they'll, they'll assume that you, 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 why are you sneaking into a, why, what are you doing in a room? It's your own protection. Yeah, if you have a reputation, you shouldn't, you shouldn't uh, put yourself in a position where people can say bad things about you, even though it's not true. A person has to be careful, you, you know, your image and your, your, your reputation. Even if you know that you're innocent, don't put yourself in a position that it looks suspicious. Can we yep. say that it's not only suspicion, it's against Balma, it's against Allah. Since they might do something wrong, or therefore they're not allowed to... No, but there is no woman there. <laughs> There's no woman there. Oh, right. People will assume you're see, two people are sneaking into a room. What else are they shot. doing there? <laughs> and one of them is a playboy. They're probably, you know, shot, who knows right. what's going on. Does it doesn't matter whether there's one or two demons. Yeah, yeah. No, because yeah, there is a difference. One, a demon will harm. Two, they, he won't harm. You may see it. Oh, well, we'll discuss the demons later on in the Gemara. Right now, let's just, let's just assume, assume that fact. Now. Then, the second reason, so which scenario do we need this reason? This is the only reason that would apply because of a rune. Why do I need a reason? Because it's a hazard, because of, of suspicion. And the demons. So what it says, we're talking about in the case, let's say there's two people, two people entering, so there's no problem of demons, there's no fear. And two kosher people, righteous people. So there's no problem, there's no suspicion. Because even if there's a woman there, there's two people together, we know, we know that, that, that there's no problem. The only thing is, that not all, two, these two people are not allowed to enter because it's a hazard. 
Then the third reason, with Ne'am Mazik, in which scenario do we need this reason, and this is the only reason they can enter into a room? You have the reason of suspicion, the reason of a rune, of a hazard. So what it says, let's say it's a new... It's a it's it's a good a new structure, so there's no hazard. and two kosher Jews, so there's no suspicion because even if even if there's a woman inside, uh, there's two kosher Jews. It's not a problem. They could be alone with a woman, um, but the problem is because of a demon. Fact, what, what do you mean? and you just told us that two people, uh, the demons will not harm. So why can't they enter? Why can't these two people enter the room in that scenario? If this is their home, if the demons are visiting, then they only harm you if it's one. But if it's their home and you're invading their home, then they'll attack even two people. <laughs> Another answer you'll say, really is talking about there's only one person. You're right, and that's what we're afraid of a demon. And there's no, there's no problem with a hazard because it's a, it's a, it's a new edifice. A, a ruin that's in the field. In the You're not going to find a woman in the middle of nowhere. So you enter the ruin for whatever reason, but no one's going to suspect you're entering a ruin to do something immoral. But you have to be worried about a demon because you're, you're all alone. Okay. The rabbis learn. Now we're coming to the argument how many watches are there in the night? Rebbe, the author of the Mishnah, holds that the night is divided into four parts. I'm not the name, and I'm not saying says Sholish, three parts. The mother says, what's the reasoning behind them? My time with the what's the reason of Rabnas? And why does he say the night is divided into three parts with a sieve? It says in Shreftim, in the judge, the book of Judges, Vayova Gidin, Umeya Isha Sheriti Bixayamachne Gidin, and the hundred people that were with him came to the edge of the camp. They arrived there at the beginning of the middle watch of the night. When you say the middle, middle means there's one before and there's one after and there's a middle. So all together you have three parts of the night. Okay, it sounds like a very solid, solid proof. How will Rebbe respond? It's a clear pasuk that there's three. So Rebbe, you say, no, Tichoyna means achas not Tichoyna. Really, there are two middle watches. There's a watch in the beginning of the night, there's a watch at the end of the night, and then you have two middle watches. And it means, Tichoyna means one of these middle watches. Achas not Tichoyna, Sheba Tichoyna. Rebbe Nassim doesn't accept that. Miksiv, does it say in the verse, Tichoyna, Sheba Tichoyna? It doesn't say the middle of the middle or one of the middle ones. It says Tichoyna. So the simple reading of the verse is that there's three watches. Okay. So Rebbe could explain the verse. But why doesn't he learn like, like Rab Nassim? It's, it's much simpler to say that Tichoyna means that there's one middle one. What forces him to say it means the, one of the middle ones? What's his proof that the light is divided into four parts? My time with the Rebbe, because it says, that I wake up in the night to praise Hashem. And another pasuk it says in the same capital tilim it says kidmu enai ashmuris David Amela says I wake up early ashmuris two uh, watches into the night I'm already up so Kate said how is that possible 
So if you say Abraham Mishmadis Havalaila, how do you reconcile these two? So if you're gonna tell me the night is divided into two parts. So you have two parts from the stars go out until midnight. You have another two parts from midnight until dawn. So now it makes sense. Kidmu says, I wake up two watches into the night or before the end of the night, which is midnight. That's what he says. I wake up at midnight. Then it makes sense. But according to you, Rabnasim. If he says, I wake up two mishmeres, if you say the night is divided into three watches, each watch is four hours. So when he says, I wake up two watches before dawn, <coughs> that's eight hours before dawn. That's two hours before midnight. Yeah. So how do you reconcile with it? He says in the same capital that I wake up at midnight. So, watches, the no, 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 the, the heaven, heavenly, heavenly watches. Heavenly watches. He says, Rab Nasan Savarlas, Rab Nasan will answer that that Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua, Rab Nasan will explain this contradiction, seeming contradiction, like Rabbi Yeshua. If not, we learn the Mishnah, Rabbi Yeshua, the Mishnah discusses later on, till when could you read the morning Shema? Rabbi Yeshua says, Ad Sholishois, you read it until three hours into the morning. So if the day starts at six, you read it till nine o'clock. Since kings who don't have to work, they wake up late. They don't have to run to the coil at 6.45. They can, wake, they can sleep through until 9 o'clock, not only on Sundays and holidays, every day. So when the Torah says, when you wake up, it's not only when the average person wakes up who has to work or earn a living, but even when the king wakes up. The last ones wake up, the kings, the noblemen, they wake up, which is till 9 in the morning. So therefore, you have shit the Laila, six at night. So you have six hours of the night. Let's say he wakes up at midnight, right? So from midnight till dawn is six hours. Then you have another two hours into the day. So you have altogether eight hours. So it equals to two mishmaitas. Every mishmaita of the night is divided into three parts. Every watch is four hours. So you have eight hours is like two, two watches. So David Amela says, I wake up early. I wake up earlier than the kings. All the kings are lying in bed, they're chrapping away until, until uh, the morning. I wake up eight hours earlier. I wake up eight, hour, eight hours earlier. So really, so he's reconciling, reconciling the two. Now, question is, wait a minute. Rabbi Yeshua says you read the Shema until nine o'clock. Three hours into the night. So you don't have eight hours, you have nine hours. <laughs> six hours of the night from 12 midnight till six. And then six to nine. So, so what, do you, what do you have? What do you have? Two mishmaritas. Two mish, every mishmar is four hours. I got it. They get up at the third hour, which means two hours. No, no you can read till the shema. They're still sleeping. No, they're sleeping till nine o'clock. That's why you can read the shema till nine o'clock. So, so the commentaries explain that it means kings start waking up in the third. Some wake up right away in the first hour, in the beginning of the third hour, at eight o'clock, and the last king wakes up at nine. They're ready up. So David Amel says, I wake up before even the first king. Before the first king wakes up at 8 o'clock, I'm already, I'm already waking up. I'm already up at midnight praising Hashem and, and, and studying his laws. Or some say, we're talking about a Jewish king. Yes, the kings wake up at 9. But a Jewish king can't wake up at 9 because he has to read the Shema. <laughs> the Jewish king has to wake up at 8. So he says, I wake up before... Okay. Ravashi Ravashi answers, according to Rav Nassim, very simple. You're right. He means there's only, there's only three, three uh, watches to the night, and each watch is four hours. 
And when he says, I wake up two, two watches, it doesn't mean eight hours. It means a watch and a half. I wake up more than one. Not only four hours before, before dawn, I wake up six hours before dawn, which is a watch and a half, so you can already say it in the plural. It's more than one, so you can say two watches. So he's reconciling these two uh, verses. It shouldn't be a contradiction according to Rabnaf. Since he mentioned whenever the Talmud mentions a name and it's very rare that we find his name, he already quotes something else that this rabbi said, even though it has no connection to what we were just discussing. said another halacha. He's not allowed to speak before a dead body, only about, you're only allowed to speak about the, the, uh, the dead person. He clarifies, You're not allowed to speak words of Torah in front of a dead person. To speak about other things, less lamba, there's no problem. We didn't say that you're not allowed to speak in front of a dead person. In front of a dead person means in his four cubits, like literally when you're standing right, right next to him. Um, and some say that if it's in the same room, so the whole room is considered like 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 um, his four cubits. So you're not allowed to speak words of Torah. Uh, why aren't you allowed to speak words of Torah? Why not? Because there's a concept of loyeg You're not allowed to laugh at a poor person. A poor person doesn't have money. You can't laugh at him because it's not his fault that he's poor. Shem decided him to be poor. So you're not only laughing at him. So a, a dead person doesn't have, doesn't have the obligation to do mitzvahs because he's dead and you're studying Torah because you have that obligation and you have the capacity to, you're laughing at him. Look, you're dead and I'm studying Torah and, and you can no longer fulfill this obligation. So you're not allowed to laugh at, laugh at a poor person. But the words of the world, I could laugh. I, I could speak. Others say, no, you're not allowed to, this, that you say that you're not allowed to speak. When you're in his four cubits, it's only Surely not only words of Torah, but even, even, even other things you're not allowed to speak because of a concept of the honor of the dead person. You're standing in front of the dead person, you should only be speaking about his needs, the funeral and about him. And by the way, at the funeral, you're allowed to speak words of Torah when you're eulogizing, when he's standing, the, the dead person is there, and you're talking about him then you're talking about him. As long as the focus is on the dead person, then you're allowed to mention words of Torah and, and, the, and the eulogy. But just to go and study Torah when you're standing in front of the dead person, or you study, you're speaking about other things, you're not focusing on him and his needs, for A, the, the, it's not respectful to the dead person, you should focus on his needs, and B, the dead person is aware. Till the dead person is buried, he's there, he's present, he's aware. And it's, it's very painful to him that you, you're not focusing on him and... And uh, and he's no longer part of, part of this, you know. So so therefore, you're not allowed to speak anything you know, other than about the about him. So that's the argument. Okay. So the Gemara, the David would pagod David used to wake up at night at midnight. Meurta v'koy. He would wake up in the beginning of the night. It says. I, I would wake up early, Baneshef, at the beginning of the night, and I would pray to Hashem. How do I know thy Neshef were to who? That Neshef means the beginning of the night. It says in the verse, Neshef is in the evening, in the, in the, in the darkness of the night. Twilight. Yeah. 
So he would wake up already. So make up your mind. He woke up in the beginning of the night. He woke up at midnight. The is saying, yes, sometimes I would wake up early. Not every night, but sometimes I wake up early. But even when I slept in the beginning of the night, there wasn't a single night that I didn't wake up at midnight. That, that was a must. Even if I, I slept through the night, the beginning of the night, but by midnight, I was up. answers, Till midnight, the whole night, he would doze off. Like a horse. A horse doesn't go into a deep sleep. He just dozes <laughs> off. So if a person can't go without sleep. So he would doze off. He would learn and he would fall asleep over his book, his nose in the book. And then he would wake up and fall back asleep. And he never slept longer, it says, than, 30, than 60 breaths. He wouldn't, he wouldn't, he would never, he never wanted to uh, um, attract the impurity. It says de- sleep is a taste of death. David HaMelech never wanted to have a taste of death. See, he was never, he never slept longer than 60 breaths. An argument how long that is, whether it's three minutes or 30 minutes or but half I mean, hour. Ultimately, Dunmav died, but I think I should have a trick him or he yeah. distracted him. He distracted him, yeah. The, the, the Malacham Abbas, right. But he, he died on Mincha, Mincha and Shabbos, right. But on um, the 70th birthday. But, but as he, see, he would fall asleep. He wouldn't allow himself to go to bed. He would just like, over the book, he would fall asleep and wake up, fall asleep and wake up. But when it came to midnight, that's when he was fully awake. Then, then he woke up he, like a lion. He woke up and he was fully awake and fully alert. Rabashi says, Till midnight. Yes, he used to wake up in the beginning of the night. But till midnight he would study Torah. Afterwards he would say, He would spend the time praising Hashem. So that's what he means. doesn't mean I woke up. At midnight I would stand up from learning Torah and now now I'm going to spend my time writing the Tehillim and singing poetry and singing Hashem's praises. Okay. The Gemara says means night and we find that Neshef means morning. It says when David attacked the Amalekim who, who killed out, who conquered the city that was given to King David and, and, took, uh, and took into captivity all the wives and the children of King David and his whole camp. So he says he, King David ran after them and he beat them, he hit them. So doesn't it mean tomorrow? So doesn't it mean from the morning until the next evening? My love, mitzafra from the morning. So Neshef means morning. No, no, it means from one night to the next night. If that's the case, it should have said man neshev ad neshev, from neshev to neshev, or from evening to evening. Why does he change the language? Since he changes the language, surely it means from the morning until the evening. says, no, you're right. Yes, there the verse clearly means the morning. But there's two neshevs. Neshev can mean morning and it can mean, it can mean evening. Because neshev means like it jumps. So the, more, the, the night jumps away and is replaced by the morning, or the day jumps away, moves away, and now it's replaced by, by the night. So here, when he says, I woke up early, I woke, I woke up early, it means in the beginning of the night. Okay. David woke up in the middle of the night. David knew when it's midnight. How? 
Amos Hashem Moshe Rabbeinu Le'avaya, the Moshe, who was the wisest man that ever lived, he didn't know when it's midnight. The Rambam says he was even wiser than than than, than Shlema Melech. So if Moshe couldn't figure out when it's midnight, Moshe says around midnight. He doesn't say precisely at midnight because who can know exactly the moment of midnight? So if Moshe couldn't figure it out, how can David know exactly when it's midnight? So Yimara says, Why did he say like midnight? Why didn't he say chatzayis? You think he's repeating the words of Hashem? You think Hashem told him around midnight? Hashem is very precise. Hashem knows exactly when it's midnight. Hashem has any doubt. Hashem says but when Moshe came, Moshe said around midnight. Alma yeah. So obviously Moshe himself, he, he didn't know. Did yeah. David have a yada? And David didn't know. So he answers David, David had a sign. He himself couldn't figure it out, but he had a sign. He had a harp. It was hanging over his bed. Told David. And the precise moment of midnight, a northern wind would come. Each six hours of the day, you have different winds that are, are dominant. And the starting with midnight, the next six hours, the, the, the wind comes from the north. So he faced the, the harp on the northern side of the bed, and therefore the wind would come and blow the harp and would start playing, singing, <laughs> and it would wake him up. He knew exactly it's midnight. He would wake up and start learning Torah till earlier he said that David was busy singing Hashem's praises. Here he says he was busy learning Torah. But King David asked that, his, that Tehillim should be considered, when you say Tehillim, it should be considered as if he's studying the most complex part of Torah. Mm-hmm. So that's how David knew. So when Amud HaShachar entered, when it came to the wise men of Israel came to King David, our master, our king, there's not enough uh, money to go around. The Jewish people need a livelihood. Every what are we morning. Doing? Every, <laughs> every morning. Maybe what what are we going to do? Morning, He's a king. David Amalek is the king. He's running the country. So the, the fin- financial ministers went in. It's, we're bankrupt. We're, we're, we're running a deficit. There's not enough money to go around. So David Amalek says, David Amalek answered, Let the rich people uh, support the poor. Yeah, take from the, take from the rich and, uh, and give to the poor. What's the problem? Our master, our king, uh, as he said, koimitz must be a sadi. Koimitz is like a hand, a fistful. A fistful is not enough to feed a lion. A lion needs a, a good meal. The poor people, you can't just give them a handout and give them something. They need more than that. You know, you can't, they can't just live off bread and water. And the in ad, if you're going to say, let's take a lot from the rich, let's tax them 90%, why not? As all our, our candidates are saying. So they, they said. <laughs> Sounds like doing that, you You can't fill. It's an interesting phenomenon. If you dig a hole in the ground and you remove the sand and then you try to restore, put the sand back, it won't be full. Something gets lost in the, in the transition. You empty the pit, you, you dig a hole, or you empty, or you take the sand that's already dug and you empty it and try to put it back, it, it, won't, it won't fill up. 
mm-hmm. one fillet. Or, or as, or as, as Tesfus says, you can't, you can't fill the, the pit on its own. If you, take, if you dig one side, if you try to plug a hole, I'm going to dig from this side to plug the hole on this side, now you made a new hole. So you're going to take all the money from the rich. <laughs> you rob the rich to give the poor. Now, now the rich don't have any money and there's no one to do business. It doesn't work. The socialistic program doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he says, you know what? So we have to bring money in from the outside. <laughs> He says, go, go out to war. Fight our enemies who are stealing money from us. Who are taking money from us. There were, there were those who were attacking the Jewish people and, and, and harming their economy. Go do battle with them and, and stop the bleeding so we'll have enough money to go around so the economy can grow. So immediately, first they would ask advice from Achitevel. Achitevel was the wisest man, one of the wisest men. So they first asked advice, how to wage war, what the proper uh, plot is, and then then they would go ask advice from the Sanhedrin. Why do you have to ask advice? Why do you need permission from the Jewish Supreme Court to go to war? So it actually says, because you want them to pray for you. These are the holiest rabbis. These are the greatest Torah scholars. You want to pray for the success, that the soldiers will all come home intact, alive. And then they would ask the Urim V'tumim, they would ask the breastplate, they would ask the, um, um, the, uh, the oracle. Hashem would tell them whether they would succeed or not. But even if they knew that they would succeed and they went ahead with the war, they still weren't guaranteed there won't be any, any, any victims. That's why they, and they needed the Sanhedrin to get their permission, to get them to, to pray for them, to make sure that there shouldn't be any, any victims. How often do they have to go to war? What? How often do they have to go to war? It seems like every day. <laughs> <laughs> so Amr Rabbi Yezir, says, how do we know this? Where do we see this in the verse? And we'll finish with this. Amr Rabbi Yezir, Rabbi Yezir says, Maikra, the Ksiv, it says, Ba'achri achitoifel, after achitoifel, b'neo, b'ne Yehoda, Rabbi Yosef, Rasar Tzorol, Melech Yoya. Literally, it means that after achitoifel died, so then, b'ne, then uh, um, uh, King David had new ministers, his ministers, his main ministers became b'ne Yo, the son of Yehoda, and Rabbi Yosef, Yasser, and then the Sartzvah Lamelech Yoya, Lamelech Yoya, Lamelech Yoya, and the and the he had the the leader of the of the troops was Yoya, his nephew Yoya, but that's the literal meaning. But here he's he's like uh, interpreting it more like uh, uh, homiletically, because the literal meaning of the verse it reads not Ben Yo Ben Yehuda, reads Yehuda Ben Ben Yo. So he's he's interpreting the whole verse homiletically. You can read Yehuda, who is the son. Ben means his son is Benayo. So he says, Achitoifel was the Yoyot. He was the advisor. It says in the verse, The advice of Achitoifel was so to the point, was so brilliant, was so correct. It was as if you're asking Hashem. When you asked him, he gave you an answer. You can rely on it as if Hashem told you. It was so clear and so brilliant. So he was the advisor. Then uh, they went, so, so he's, he's interpreting the whole verse homiletically as if when Achitofel was still alive. The simple meaning of the verse is Achitofel died, so who replaced him? These names replaced him. But here he's interpreting, uh, even when he was alive, they would go, after King David says, now you have to go to war, you have to expand uh, the territory, or you have to increase the economy. So first they would discuss with Achitofel, who was brilliant, and gave them brilliant advice, how to fight the war. Then they would go to Bnei Ben Yehuda, who was the head of the Sanhedrin. He was the head of the, of the Jewish Supreme Court. 
Then they would go to Eviasar. Eviasar was the high priest who wore the breastplate, and he was the one they would ask, ask from the oracle and receive the answer whether they should go to war or they shouldn't go to war, whether they'll be successful or not. How do we know this? How do we know that Eviasar is the one who carried the breastplate? The Chenu Emer, it says, ben it says, Beneyo, the son of Eyada, Allah Kresi, Allah Plesi, came before the one who, who, Kresi, um, Plesi, the Gemara says, refers to the Kayan, who's the high priest, who's wearing the breastplate. Why is the breastplate called Kresi, Plesi? Um, some say this is referring to the stones that were on the breastplate that would light up. Some are saying it's referred to the parchment that was stuck inside the breastplate, which had the holy name of Hashem, which caused the breastplate to, to, uh, to respond to their questions. Why was it called Kresi Plesi? Kresi Shekersim Divreim, because their words were very precise. And Plesi Shemufloim Bidivreim, that it was wondrous. The answer was wondrous. And Kresim Divreim means that it was very precise. That's the difference between the oracle, the breastplate, and the prophet. It says when Hashem gives a negative prophecy, it could change for the better. Even when Hashem gives a good prophecy, in case of sin, it could also change. But when the breastplate said something, when it, the answer, it was precise. There was no veering away. It exactly it happened exactly as the way it was said. There's no changing. That's what it means to curse him. It's very, it's, it cuts its words. It's 100% precise and it's wondrous. And then afterwards, Sartzvala Melech Yoyav. And that's what he says. Um, and that's what the verse means. First they went to Achitoyf. After Achitoyfel, they went to Bnei Yob and Yehado, who was the head of the Jewish Supreme Court. Then they went to Evyasar, who was the Chayim Gadol who wore the breastplate to ask him whether they will succeed. And once they got, they cleared, they got the advice, and they got the blessing and the prayers of the Jewish Supreme Court. And they got the answer, clear answer from, from the Chayim Gadol, from the breastplate. Then they went to Yoyev and says, okay, now go ahead and wage, and wage war. Yeah. Okay.